Hi, this is Kenny. And this is Mark. And this is All I Want to Do is Talk About Madonna. Season two, episode two. Album four, track one. Like a prayer. Mark, we have been building and building and building to this moment for you. And I mean, and for me too, because Like a Prayer is a seminal album and this is a seminal song. It's a a massive turning point in her career and in our lives. And yet I, I feel it's important to me, but it's become apparent to me over the last few months that this song and this album are even more important to you. So I would like to, um, Relinquish my time. Thank you. Thank you, Maxine. Um, I'm going to give you the floor to talk a little bit about your own personal deep connection to this album. uh, Thank you, Kenny. Um, This has been the longest foreplay I've ever been a part of. No comment. Like a Prayer is the album that changed my life. In March of 1989, I was about to be 13 years old. I was Catholic and growing up in Northeast Ohio. And I was really into Madonna at that point. But there was something that happened with this album and with my experiences with it that really transformed how I saw the world, how I looked at my life at 13, the future of my life, and all of the pieces to it. Uh, Like a Prayer is an album that addresses a lot of different elements of life, including faith and family and sexuality and gender and uh, relationships and ambition and a way of moving through the world in a very uh, intentional way. Everything on this record feels very intentional, and Madonna is using her platform in a new way, in an adult way, knowing she has a very young and a very gay audience and speaking to them and realizing that they too are growing up. Uh, I know it sounds dramatic for me to say that at 13 it changed my life, but it really did. I saw a window, it was the window into a world that I knew I would be a part of, that I knew was possible and gave me a set of kind of moralistic values and creeds and kind of mantras to kind of guide me through the next decade or so. Um, Being a young teenager in Ohio in the late 80s was very hard. And, um, And yet, I never had a really bad, traumatic childhood about dealing with homophobia or oppression or things like that. I knew I didn't fit in. And like a prayer was a letter from the future, really. And saying, you are going to get out of here and you're going to go off and do amazing things and have amazing adventures. And this is the guidebook on how to do that. The other thing that it did for me that was really important was it opened doors to a lot of different musical styles and identities that, you know, I I was listening to Top 40 radio and in 1989, it was very packaged and slick. And even the, um, 
even the 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 most established musicians were making some of their cheesiest music. I think of like David Bowie and people like that. And I didn't really connect with any of it on an emotional level. It was ear candy to listen to and bop to, but really I found so many roots of things like Simon and Garfunkel and Sly and the Family Stone and Latin music and uh, a lot of kind of jazzier uh, rhythms and um, kind of balladeering that I never expected from Madonna. And it really started to push me towards other areas of music as well. It made me definitely more adventurous. And only in a couple short years after this, I was in high school and being exposed to all kinds of different music and different um, things. And uh, I think this album allowed me to have an open mind to all of those different things and all of those different elements and influences and allowed me to really explore music in, a, in, a, in an adventurous and open way that I hope, you know, 25, 30 years later now, I'm still doing, thank God. Um, and, you know, when I've talked to people about this album in the past, you know, I think that people have always admired in me uh, a kind of perspective I've always had. I've always had a perspective on the big picture and I've never allowed tiny little battles to kind of get me down and get my spirits down. And I think this album really showed me how to do that and kind of soar above all the petty, silly things of life. And, uh, focus on the bigger questions. And that's kind of still how I kind of live my life today. And it wouldn't happen without like a prayer. The final thing I'll say is, is that this was the first album that I bought because I, uh, in rebellion uh, for my family. Um, this was outlawed in my house. I was forbidden to buy it, forbidden to get it um, because of the video uh, for like a prayer, which we're going to talk about shortly. And I, for, um, I kind of, souped up a plan and was out at the store and I bought it on cassette. I still have the cassette. Um, inside the cassette was the first, uh, the last panel of the booklet was um, a facts sheet about AIDS, which um, I didn't really know much about in 1989. Um, but I learned soon enough what all of that meant and what the significance of that in that album was. And what gave the album away that I had gotten it um, to my family was the smell of the patchouli oil on the, the packaging because um, they could smell it because um, it was very prominent when you opened the, the, the cassette. And um, that started a long, 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 long conversation with my family that continues to this day. So I'm really excited we're talking about this record. Well, Like a Prayer kicks off with this amazing guitar riff by Prince Yes, um, that um, then sh shuts it down with a big dramatic tomb closing. And it indicates kind of an epicness that um, it's very dramatic. It's very big. 
um, this feels like Madonna's Led Zeppelin moment, her art rock. Yes, yes, totally. Well, it's sort of, again, like every album, there's an intro that sort of tells us it's a new era, right? <laughs> and really, and this yeah. is again, like, you know, it happens on every single album. There's some kind of little bit of an intro that says like, whatever you thought before, throw it out the window. Here throw it we out are. the window. Yeah. New world. And Pat Leonard wrote this with her. And one of the things, um, one of my favorite interviews with Madonna was from this era. And I would encourage everyone to look it up. It's with Song, Song Talk Magazine. Um, and it came out in March. And it's a long interview. It's fantastic. And it's all about her songwriting. It is not about anything else but what her process is uh, writing this record, uh, what she brings to the process. And it, I remember reading it around the time of this album and really being like, wow, she really knows what she's doing. And um, one of the things she said about Pat Leonard is that he's completely intellectual and she's completely in instinctual and that it's a really good combination and that she would come into the, the kind of the process with song lyrics or or kind of a melody, but he would often also have lots of chords and stuff ready to go. And this was one of those where she had an idea for it and then he kind of took some rudimentary melody that she kind of sang to him and turned it into what this became. Right. And once they had decided on what the song would be, they recorded it really fast. I think it yeah. was like three hours or something. Yeah. Not including the um, chorus. I mean, the actual choir that comes yeah. in to sing. The Andre um, Crouch Choir. Yes. I think yes. one of the great things about this song is that it, um, it was done live in the studio with other musicians. Um, Madonna had worked with other musicians live in the studio, but often they would record, she would be there while they were recording. But this was one of the first times that she actually was, was recording live with musicians and singing along with the mm. musicians. Um, and you can really tell because a lot of those rough vocals from this recording session made it on the album. They didn't fix it up and finesse it afterwards. And um, there's also this amazing kind of Latin rhythmicness to this song that really is surprising. Um, the song is really based in like there's three parts to it. There's the, the opening kind of ballad part and the chorus. And then when the choir comes in, it kicks into the second part. Which goes until probably after the break. And then when the drums really kick in again with the just like I'm used to me, you are the, the kind of when she's bringing it home in the last like probably minute and a half, maybe two minutes in at the end. And it, and it really kind of has the, a lot of these pieces. And what's so thrilling about this song is it never, it, it doesn't stay one thing for very long, ever. There's always a new element being added to it to kind of build it, to make it bigger and grander and, you know, higher. You know, it's higher. I'm flying. It's like she's getting higher up, higher up, closer to God. You know, Pat Leonard and she had worked on True Blue, um, they had figured out a lot of stuff when they were on tour the first time. Then they went on a bigger tour. 
And they thought about like a world tour in stadiums and they started to make music that was even bigger, you know, more iconic and gigantic. And that this was one of those, this was a song that was like for stadiums. Lyrically, um, the song is mysterious. It's similar to Live to Tell in that way where Mm -hmm. we don't, where the lyrics aren't overt. They're not super like direct. They have many meanings. So we can take them on this meaning of like, oh, it's this woman's relationship with God, right? Um, mm. And But it also can be a sexual relationship. And another thing from that uh, Song Talk interview, she talks about how everything that she's ever heard uh, kind of comes into, comes out of her in a kind of bastardized form and that um, things that she sings and comes to her is basically digested, like all of us, like it's digested from everything we've ever heard in our whole lives. And so it has all of this deep Catholic faith imagery. And then, but then there's like a reference, like, is it a reference to Burt Backrack and say a little prayer for you kind of thing? Is there all, because it, it's still a pop song. That's what's so thrilling about it. Right. It, still is, it still exists in that world and they use la- the language of a pop song to make this glorious epic. And my favorite lyric has always been, everyone must stand alone. Because really, at this point, um, I think Madonna has uh, exhausted the kind of imagery, fun girl, playful, wink and a smile kind of, even when she's throughout the True Blue era, even when she's dealing with something serious, with with the sole exception of Live to Tell, she's always kind of winking along like, you know, but it's still me, fun Madonna underneath. And this is the first time she's really grappling with deeper um, issues. And, and yet, everyone must stand alone. She's, this is, at the time, her most collaborative record ever. She has gospel choirs. She has Nikki and Donna throughout the record. She has, you know, the the guitarist from the La Isla Bonita uh, video playing on this. Uh, Stephen Bray is singing along. Um, Prince is on it. I mean, it's it's the most um, kind of communal album she'd ever made at that point. And yet she feels so alone. And you can see, you can feel the loneliness happening in, in the song. Well, this goes back to your point Um, from the 1988 episode about how the more adversity and kind of failure and um, problems that she's having in her life, the better her music is, right? She finds all this solace and community within her music. She always does. She goes back to that time and time again when everything else is sort of falling to shit. I mean, setting up this year, you know, yeah, 1988 was this rebuild year, but she'd really come off of like two really bad movies, um, some mediocre to sometimes good soundtrack stuff, some okay remixes, but it was all sort of filler, you know? And it's very possible that she could have sort of dwindled away at this point. You know, Cindy Lauper at this moment is sort of at the tail end of her major commercial you know um and she's working it seems like just as hard but not with the same motivation or intent 
And I mean, and I don't want to get into a Cindy Lauper versus. Oh Madonna. no, let's go it's there. So, well, it's so tiresome now. But <laughs> I mean, if you look at Cindy's album from 1989, "A Night to Remember," and compare it to this, I mean, there's no comparison. This is such a make no. or break moment. And Madonna works. Not that Cindy Lauper didn't work hard, like you said, but she works in a different way yeah. than she ever has. And I think also the massive exposure to her personal life over the last couple of years um, has really taken a toll on her. And yet she talks so much around this time of not hiding away and being isolated. Um, yeah. she, t- she looks at Michael Jackson and Prince who are be- argue- already being considered her contemporaries and they live very isolated lives. I think part of the reason she may not have enjoyed Minneapolis is because he's basically in a bunker. Yeah. She's not out and about in the world. And I find that very interesting that she was still jogging outside every day and she was still going to the movies every, like she refused to isolate herself at yeah, this time. She, she um, in the amazing Rolling Stone interview from 1989 um, at the, for the release of this album, the reporter talks about, well, picking her up um, in her in his car, but he well no sorry she drives herself I think to meet him mm-hmm. like nobody she just shows up at this restaurant you know yeah. um, which is a big thing for her she's always loves to drive herself places right which yeah. we'll, we love and then um, at afterwards she's like will you drive me back to my house in the hills because that'll throw the paparazzi off and she knows who all the paparazzi are she talks about this one paparazzi like or in a jaguar mm-hmm. she, and apparently in her house they can see everybody through all the cameras they can see everybody who's waiting outside to you know wait for her so she's very aware of it but she's also like i'm not going to be a victim of that mm. and this comes up through her entire career i mean i have all these stories when we get into the deep into the 90s where it's like oh madonna was at sound factory last night she gave me her number like literally stories like that you know where she was yeah. just like dancing and talking to people um and i think that that's the key difference is that i think that she she really wants to stay connected to the world because you can't really service and give us reflections on what's going on unless you're a part of it. Right. And I think that that's really important to her um, and, and makes it, it gives it this kind of tension of she's still identifiable, but she's also now this goddess. Right. Which she both embraces and rejects, you know. Correct. Depending on the moment. Um, I love all the musicianship on this record. The whole record, but this uh, this song particularly. I mean, the Andre Crouch Choir is incredible. Nikki Harris, uh, the beloved back, backing vocalist, she does the, the, the big riff in the middle of the song, the gospel riff uh, during the bridge. That's incredible. delivers it in a way that only she did again in the Blonde Ambition Tour. And I don't think she ever did it again after that. Um, It's been these um, kind of diluted versions ever since. And uh, it's just such a 
great bold beginning to the record. And then a couple of the other tracks on it are like this, but not really. And that's what else is so cool. It, it, it never is like this again. Right. That's absolutely right. There's nothing as massive as this on this album yeah. coming up. I mean, I think um, actually Express Yourself is massive too, but in a totally in a completely different, different way. way. Yeah. yeah. So the video, Mary Lambert's back. This She's is her, back. This is her last video with Madonna. Yeah. And her masterpiece. This is her masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. It, it is. Um, it, and, uh, you know, uh, again, I think the beginning of the video is, it doesn't even start with the song. It has that police siren and Madonna running over a mountain and collapsing. And then and, the guitar. And then the guitar hits. And, and it's so great because it, it's definitely not, it's a story. This is going to be a parable about, yeah. a, it, it's a parable. It's, it's a parable, right? And we we know it is because at the very end, uh, literally, a curtain comes down on a stage, and we know that this has been a performance, right? Which is but kind then of it comes up, and they do a bow. They, do a they bow. all bows. Yeah, no, it's kind of amazing, and and also I remember at the time not understanding totally when I rewatched it. Well, you know, it's like one of those things. Like it's hap- the video happened so long ago; it's etched in my memory. But what's etched in my memory mostly is that. Um, Jesus is black or God is black in the, in, in the, in the video. And that's interesting. That's and interesting. that, yeah. um, the, the burning crosses. Right. Yeah. So then when I was watching the video again, I was like, Oh my gosh, this video is about speaking up, yeah. being an ally saying, you know, when you see something, an injustice happening, being brave enough to go and say something about it. So yeah. Madonna, Madonna's like leaving her trattoria or something and uh, wrapping herself up in a coat. And she sees these three guys jump this, this cocktail waitress. And I think they're trying to rob her, but they wind up stabbing her. And then uh, they, the sirens start, they flee and an African-American man comes charging in to kind of help her because he sees what's going on. And that's who the police arrest. Right. And, and it's kind of, and then, so Madonna, of course, so the Aryan men see that Madonna's seen them. And so she races away to figure out what she's going to do at a church nearby. And that's kind of where it all starts. Right. Where she realizes the right thing to do. Then at the end, she goes to the police station. She explains herself very emphatically. He didn't do it. Yeah. You can see her saying it. She explains it. He's released from prison and that's the end of the story. He's released from the jail cell and that's the end. So before we go deeper into this, uh, this video there's some cheesy moments in this video so first of all when the cops arrest the black man the poor woman just (laughs) they rip him away from her nobody helps the the young woman who's been attacked she's laying on like kind of like a faux back seat cushion thing and they just kind of rip her and she falls back down on the ground and then when the cops, she says they he didn't do it. The other cop just like lets him out. Like it's very it's very simplistic. And then the other part that drives me nuts. So the video's starting and she's singing the opening thing. And there's that sequence where she's flying through the air and then she lands and the gospel leader 
touches her, her, smiles, and then throws her back up in the air. And we never see that again in the video. It's the weirdest, randomest, like, why is that in there? Apparently, it was part of a concept that never happened, that never worked. Like, apparently, she had a whole other, like, she fell. Like, there was a jump, like, where she was supposed to fall, like, as, like, a, a massive trust fall. Like, I think, and when she did it, it was, like, a 20 foot fall that they were going to film in slow motion and it didn't work out. So I think that was just like this moment that was in the story that they just filled. But I mm. thought I, when I'm watching Oof. it, I don't mind it. I, I feel like it's like she goes to church. She realizes that, you know, she's closer to God than she thinks she is, which helps her make the decision to like speak up. That's what I decided. I'm going to buy it, you know? Well, and I, and I love that. I mean, I love how dark and, again, it, it, it signals this new era. Madonna's got her long, beautiful brown hair, dark brown hair. It's both a dark video and a celebratory video. It feels very um, joyful in a lot of moments of it, particularly when the choir arrives. Yep. Um, there's all those beautiful shots, again, of Madonna's face by Mary Lambert, those Mary Lambert shots of her when she's flying through the air, when she's laying on the, on the, the, the pew in the church. Um, just yeah. beautiful. And that sequence when she's singing against the, the, um, the gate up at the saint, um, is just so it's such an image and gorgeous. She looks beautiful and she she's got such passion and and care in her face and pleading. And it really is some thrilling acting, actually. That's negated when she says he didn't do it. But like no, before then, actually, it's like that doesn't wonderful. even bother me because I feel like she's being as authentic as she can be as an actor, you know. Correct. So I, I kind of go for it. Um a couple things I want to say though is like first that the actor who plays um the man who gets thrown into jail and also he ends up playing like a Jesus figure too, right? Um, is Leon Robinson. Yeah. Um, and so we just want to acknowledge that he was that actor. He was also, there were a couple of things I saw that, you know, pointed to like, not only was he uh, a black man playing these parts, but he was a black man with very distinctive black features as opposed yeah. to like someone who was like, you know, that could pass or something. So it was a very clear, and I find it interesting because because he's he's a saint. He's not Jesus oh, or God, oh, and th- really? and that's always interesting. It's always the 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 controversy was always that it was a black saint that she was mm. betting. Okay, um, which I think I always think is so interesting. Um, and I think as a Catholic, I was so freaked out by how much rooted Catholic imagery is in this video. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so much. You know, the the church is like an old Southern like schoolhouse church and she you know she lifts the knife that that the saint drops and the stigmata i mean that's the thing everyone's like oh my god madonna and the stigmata and and then the burning crosses and i think we should talk a little bit about that especially you know given uh where we are as a country today the burning crosses are such a symbol and they've lost i i don't think we've seen a whole lot of them in the last like 20 some years, but the potency of it back then, certainly in the late eighties was very controversial and very offensive to a lot of different people. And yet I think what made it so offensive to so many was Madonna dancing and writhing in front of the crosses. And I always remember her bra straps being down. 
Like she's wearing this kind of black, very tight black dress and yet, and, and then her bra straps. So her bra straps are hanging and the black dress is still going, is still up and in place. But it, it's that kind of sexuality wrapped up in the imagery yes. of the crosses that really um, threw everybody into a, a well, crazy... It's, yeah, it's not event. a direct image. I mean, it's not an image saying, it's not saying this is wrong. Um, you know, it's, it's in it, but it's not also glorifying them, but it is um, putting them, it's, it's making this really weird opposition that is very troubling. It's like at the one point you see this beautiful woman and at the height of her beauty, you know, um, and yes, being overtly sexual in a lot of ways, except if you look at her face, like she's not at all playing a sexual moment. She's playing a moment of like pain and fury and fear and power and that she's in opposition to those, those burning crosses behind her, you mm -hmm. know, and that, um, I think that just even putting them out there. Yeah. I think that in this moment, like looking at those now, it's like, that is a really, really bold image. I mean, this is the image literally that, um, got her banned from playing and, you know, she wasn't supposed to play in Italy, right? The Pope, yeah. wasn't it the Pope who was he like, discouraged you, people from seeing her concerts, but she was never yeah. officially banned. Right. Right. Okay. Similarly, great. like the Pepsi commercial controversy didn't really, they didn't like, cancel it they reaffirmed it but they just decided not to keep playing the, the right because it was a little bit it well because part of it was that they couldn't overtly cancel it because as madonna has done time and time again she very somehow carefully navigated between making a really clear statement and and it being frivolous you know what i mean yeah. like and so there was something in there yes i think it is like it goes back to the essence of the song and the lyrics and the sound of the song that it's both super pop music and it's also something else, you know? Well, and it's interesting. So, so really quickly, the Pepsi thing we're alluding to, um, Madonna um, struck a deal with Pepsi Cola uh, in 1988 to shoot a video for uh, Pepsi. It wasn't just to shoot a video. It was a, a year-long contract to do many commercials. Okay. And uh, the first commercial was tied to the Like a Prayer uh, video, and it was going to be used as partly as a promotional thing for Like a Prayer as well as, as a Pepsi commercial. The Pepsi commercial is very different than the Like a Prayer video is. Um, it's Madonna watching home movies of herself um, as a kid, and at the end, she, holding a Pepsi, says, go ahead, make a wish to her younger self, and then her younger self blows out the candles. But there is some of the, the imagery of, and the music from Like a Prayer in the, um, the video. She's dancing with a choir, I think, at one point. Um, but obviously, like the burning crosses and things like that are not included. Even though she did talk to a Pepsi um, executive and she said, well, will the reflection of the burning crosses be on the Pepsi can? And they said, what? And she said, just kidding. No. Yeah. She did bring, she did bring it up, but they never asked her to see the video beforehand. And actually they said, well, it wasn't our place to ask her to see her other work to approve this video. Yeah. Um, I and it just premiered on, it premiered during a Cosby show episode in 1989 in, in early March. Um, before the album came out. And it, I think it ran twice. Um, I Well, from what I see, it only ran once, but there was a, but maybe I have it wrong, but we can look this up later. But what I saw was yeah. that there was a, there was a teaser, a 30 second version of it that was shown. And that may be what you're referring to. And then they showed the whole thing once. And after they showed the whole thing, which was a minute and a half. Oh. Um, and it was shown on MTV. 
So after the controversy, Pepsi uh, let Madonna keep the $5 million that they had uh, made the deal with, but they didn't do any more commercials or anything. No. And I always think it's funny that they're like, we let her keep the $5 million. Like, yeah. They let her keep it. Like it's it's you know, very they, they declined actually. to move forward with any more productions. Stuff, yeah, and that she, she right. didn't break her contract. She delivered what she yes. Um, yes. So um, I kind of want to wrap this uh, conversation up with um, uh, a question Madonna was asked about controversy about this video, and she said, um, which I think is really um, important to be reminded of right now. It's not really that I thrive on the controversy. It's that I think it's necessary. I think art should be controversial. I think it should make people think about what they do believe in and what they don't believe in. And if they don't believe in it, that's good too. I mean, everything is just kind of opium for the masses. It puts people in a trance. I think it's good to hit people over the head with this stuff and make them question their own beliefs. And I think she does that in this video and in this song. I think she does this almost from all the time from now on. The new chapter. It's a new album. Thank God for this song. Mm. Till next time. Bye.